The Old Testament reading today is Genesis 17, verses 15 to 27, and then continuing into chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you cannot call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass from your servant. The word of the Lord. Today's psalm is number 80, verses 1 through 7. We will read responsively by whole verse. Hear, O Israel, O shepherd of Israel, you that lead Joseph like a sheep. Show yourself also, you that sit upon the cherubim. Restore us again, O God, show the light of your countenance, and we shall be whole. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people that pray? You feed them with the bread of tears and give them plenteous tears to drink. You have made us the derision of our neighbors, and our enemies laugh us to scorn. Restore us again, O God of hosts, show the light of your countenance, and we shall be whole. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament reading today is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, 
would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said the above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are recorded according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson today comes from Luke chapter 1. It's the end of chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah, and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the, in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary remained with her about three months, then returned to her home. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. The song that Mary sings is commonly called the Magnificat. Soul magnifies the Lord. That's what we do when we come together every Sunday. We come together to give glory to God, to hear from his holy word, and to be reminded of the promises that he has fulfilled for us through Jesus Christ. We are continuing in our sermon series in Genesis. This is going to be the, the last week that we're in Genesis until next fall. 
And so we are in Genesis, at the end of Genesis chapter 17. If you brought a Bible, it's Genesis 17 starting in verse 15. If you didn't bring a Bible but you'd like to follow along with one, there are blue Bibles on the table in the back. And if you don't own a Bible, then one of those Bibles is yours to keep. In the Genesis narrative, we hear over and over that God makes promises to, to what's called his covenant family. And in this case, at the end of Genesis 17, all of the, the vows that God has taken, all of the, the promises that God has made are fulfilled in the promise of a child. But as God tells Abraham, this is not just going to be any child. This is going to be a miraculous child. So in Genesis 12, God told Abraham kind of the, the outline of the promise. And then in Genesis 15 and the beginning of Genesis 17, we continually see this gradual reveal of more and more details of what this promise is. It's like a, a fuzzy picture that's slowly starting to take shape. It gets sharper and crisper as more details appear. So in Genesis 12, all that Abraham was told was go. He said, go from your family and your kin and your country and leave everything that you know and go to the land that I'm going to show you and I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to make your offspring many, and through you, all the families of the world will be blessed. That's all he knew. In Genesis 15, after Abraham had been wandering, this vague promise of, I'm going to show you a land, turned into, oh, actually, you're now standing on the land. So we get a clearer picture of what God had in mind. And the vague promise of, I'm going to make of you a great nation, in Genesis 15, turns more specific when it says, you're going to have a son. To which Abram and Sarai at the time say, oh, okay, cool, sounds great. Um, let's get Sarah's servant girl pregnant, as is the custom of our time. And in the second half of Genesis 17, God circles back to that and he says, I'm sorry, let me clarify. Because Abraham had already had a son. He had a son named Ishmael through, his servant, through the, the, the servant of his wife, Sarah. And so Abraham wanted Ishmael to be the one that received the blessing. Oh, wouldn't it be great if, if, if it was him? And God said, no, 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 no. Your wife's going to have a son. She, her, she's going to have a son. Let me show you exactly what this means. And so much like how in the previous passage, God told Abram that he was going to be changing his name from Abram, or great father, to Abraham, or father of multitudes. In this passage here, he says, your wife's name is no longer going to be Sarai, which basically means princess, but it's going to be Sarah, which means pretty much our queen or my queen. So he's cementing what the legacy of Abraham and Sarah are going to be. This is going to be your queen. This is going to be the, the head of this kingdom. This is going to be your co-heir or your, your co-ruler in this organization. And so he's saying, you're not just going to farm this house to your, to your assistant, Abraham. This woman, your wife, is going to be the mother of your son. And Abraham, it, that, that kills him. I mean, it just he cracks up. He falls to the ground laughing. And he says, do you really think I'm going to father a child at 100? And by the way, do you really think she's going to father a child? Do you really think that she's going to be the mother of a child at 90? And then he says something that might sound a little weird, and actually can sound a little morbid. So I just want to camp out on this for a second. It, it confuses some people. In verse 18, Abraham says to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And that might actually sound like he's afraid that Ishmael's going to die. 
But God doesn't address that. He says, no, but your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call him Isaac, which means he laughs. Abraham had just fallen on the floor, cracking up when God told him what the plan was. And so it might sound like God's going to kill Ishmael, or it might sound like Abraham's afraid that he's going to die, but that's not it at all. What God is saying, what Abraham is saying is that he's, he's trying to elevate his son. He's trying to, to lift him up so that Ishmael can be the inheritor of this promise because to, to live before God is kind of a common phrase in the Old Testament. You'll sometimes hear it in Latin uh, in various like Christian schools today. It's, in, in Latin, it's quorum Deo, and it means before the face of God. It means that you're inheritor of the promises of God. You're following the path of God. You're, you're living in the light of God's presence. That's what Abraham wants for his son. He wants that, that Ishmael, who's 13 now, so he's had 13 years to love this boy. And he wants him to be the inheritor of the promise and the fulfillment of the blessing. He wants Ishmael to be the offspring of the woman that we've been tracking since Genesis chapter 3. But God says no. No, your 90-year-old wife is going to bear you a son. And you're going to call his name Isaac. And he says, I will establish my covenant with him, with Isaac, as an everlasting covenant for all of his offspring after him. But then God shows how he is gracious even to those who are not going to be the fulfillment of the promise. God still shows how he is gracious to people. Because in verse 20, he says, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. And behold, I have blessed him. Because this had happened already. I have already blessed him. And I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I shall make him a great nation. But it's, but it's Isaac, Abraham. Isaac's the one. I will establish my covenant with him, who Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. You hear Abraham interceding for his son. Was it because he couldn't believe the idea that Sarah and Abraham were actually going to have a natural kid, and so he was trying to like give God a, a backup plan? Or was it the same kind of pragmatic expediency and, and self-protection that Abraham had, had exhibited before when he, when he um, convinced his wife to lie to Pharaoh to say that, that her husband was actually her brother so that he wouldn't be harmed? Or is this a picture of a father who had loved his son for 13 years and truly wanted what was best for him. I think it's probably because these people in the Bible are real people like you and me. I think it's probably a mix of both. With all of us, there's good intentions, there's self-interested intentions. There's expediency and let's get this done quickly, and there's submitting ourselves to God. And God concludes by saying, I'm going to come back in one year and Sarah will have borne you a son. And so what God's doing here is, despite what Abraham says, despite Abraham offering up his own plan, God is demonstrating two things here. He's demonstrating his sovereignty. He's also demonstrating his character. God is sovereign, and God will make whatever choice pleases him. And he has the free will to do that. But he is gracious to Ishmael, who was never supposed to be part of the plan who is Abraham and Sarah saying, we'll do this thing. We'll help you out, God. We'll get this done for you. And yet, God doesn't cast Ishmael aside. He doesn't banish him. He's gracious to him. He says, I was going to bless him anyway, just as Ishmael's father had prayed for. And so after this, 
After God says, you're going to have a son, I'm going to come back in one year, you're going to have a kid. Abraham believes. Abraham has bought into this idea. And in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 17, we get another, another glimpse, another foretaste of who exactly gets to inherit the promises of God. It says in verse 23, it says, Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born into his house, or bought with his money, every male among them in Abraham's household. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins on that very day, as God had said to him. Listen to verse 26. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of this house, those born into the house and those with bought with money from a foreigner, were all circumcised with him. Everyone in his household. Natural-born offspring, children of this offspring of the woman, the line of the promise, and foreigners. Old men, young men, some of them like Abraham, who had been anticipating this covenant fulfillment for 20 years already, others of whom might have been bought from a foreigner the day before, and so this thing that's happening to them might have been a bit of a surprise. But all kinds of people from everywhere are brought into God's covenant family and are now heirs of God's covenant promise. And God made a vow. God made a vow to Abraham to give land and blessings. He made a vow to Abraham that he was going to build kingdoms out of this family. And he was going to bless the whole world through that kingdom. Abraham had been waiting decades since God first made those vows. And now all of those vows are fulfilled and focused promise of a child. And all types of people, people from every imaginable group, are brought into this covenant. Flash forward about 18 centuries. We see another vow that God makes. Another vow of a kingdom. A vow of an everlasting king. A vow of true righteousness coming to earth. Perfect peace. Godly justice. Piercing wisdom. And finally, redemption rescue. And this had been made throughout the Old Testament, and they were still waiting for it. All the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God says to David, when your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, that is, after you've died, I will raise up your offspring after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. His house shall be a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Then later on in Isaiah chapter 9, Prophet Isaiah delivers this message. He says to Israel, which is the descendants of Abraham, he says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. His dominion will be vast, and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of the house of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to sustain it with justice and righteousness from now until forever. So God came to Abraham and said, Sarah's going to have a child. And Abraham said, how can this be? She's so old. She can't have kids. God said, don't worry about her. Eighteen centuries later, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a child. And Mary said, how can this be? I'm so young. On P.S., I'm still a virgin. I can't have kids. And God said, don't worry about it. 
because God had made a vow. God had made a vow to Abraham, and then again in 2 Samuel, and then again in Isaiah, over and over and over. He's making this vow, a vow to give land and blessings, a vow to actually bring a king into his creation and to bless the whole world through it. And this time, instead of waiting decades, God's people had been waiting a thousand years since God first made these vows. And all of these vows, much like in Abraham and Sarah's case, all of these vows focused on the promise of a child. And so when, when Gabriel told Mary these things, Mary rushed off to tell her cousin Elizabeth about it. Elizabeth was pregnant herself, which, much like Sarah, was another pretty miraculous pregnancy because Elizabeth was already very old. Elizabeth was pregnant, and when Mary came in, when the mother of the Messiah came in and spoke, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt in joy. In Abraham's day, Abraham believed God's promises, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In Mary's day, Mary believed God's promises, and then she delivered a beautiful song that is also a little bit of a sermon. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think that a lot of times in the church, we kind of get the view of Mary wrong. In the, in the Roman Catholic Church, I think that they've elevated her a little bit too high. But I think that a lot of times in the Protestant church, we don't think enough about her. And she is as powerful a teacher in this song, this Magnificat. She is as powerful a teacher as anyone else in the New Testament. She's as powerful a singer, a songstress, as Moses and Miriam were in Exodus. And she gives this heartfelt prayer and praise to God decreasing herself and increasing him, glorifying God and magnifying him for what he has done. And I think we would do well to read this and remember it. All of the vows that God made to Abraham, all of them, were ultimately and finally fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. God told Abraham that kings would come from his line, and they did. But then, at the end, there was one final true king. God told Abraham that through his offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And Israel, when it was formed, was supposed to be a blessing to the nations around it. And occasionally it was, but most of the time it wasn't. But the final and true and ultimate fulfillment of the one offspring who would truly be a blessing to the entire creation was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. The promises that Gabriel made to Mary were all fulfilled in Jesus. A, a righteous king, a king of true justice, to rule and reign forever. A divine king, as Elizabeth pointed out, the mother of my Lord. A divine king who would come down to be with his people. The perfect redeemer to remake creation. So as we enter into this last week of Advent, and we kind of pivot from in the beginning of Advent, we talk a lot about the anticipation of Christ coming again. And as we move closer and closer toward Christmas, our focus kind of shifts. And we anticipate the celebration of Jesus' birth. 
as we move into this last week of Advent, we shift from the, the hope that we have in Jesus coming again in power and great glory. We shift back to remembering the historical facts that we have of Jesus being born meek and lowly. Remember that it's that meek and lowly childbirth that was the, the start of the fulfillment of every promise that God has ever made so take time this week as we, as we head toward Christmas. Take time this week to pause and give thanks. Take time this week. Take time this week to read through the Magnificat, the song that, that Mary sings. Take time this week to slow down and reflect. This is, this is the week when, as good 21st century Americans, we get quite possibly the busiest that we are all year. I, my, a couple years ago, my, my friend Emmanuel um, said that the busyness of the last week of the holidays feels like uh, if you took a bunch of squirrels and gave them tons of caffeine and then set them loose on the world. That's what, that's what the inside of his brain said. That he, it, he said the inside of his brain feels like caffeinated squirrels set loose on the world. And he said that's not the way it's supposed to be. So my encouragement this week, as we head into the final week of, of what the, the world will want to tell us is busyness and activity, is to slow down and reflect, to read through the promises that God made to Abraham, to read through the, the promises that God made to Mary, and then the song of response that she made. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you first and foremost with thanks. We thank you that you, that you deigned to give us these promises in the first place when we didn't deserve it, while we were still sinners. That you promised to Abraham that, that your rescue plan was going to come through him. That you made him aware of it, his offspring aware of it, that you made us aware of it by having these things be recorded and preserved so that we could still read them. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for the rescuer himself. We thank you that all of these promises throughout the Bible, that they all weave together and that they, that they coalesce into the person of Jesus. We ask that this week, as we move toward the celebration of his birth, that you would make us mindful of the incredible gift that we have been given in him.